Well, good morning again. Someone asked me this week, uh, why are we reading through the one-year chronological Bible? And I said, because it's important to know the biblical storyline. And that was a satisfactory answer. But it could have continued and said, why? Why is it important to know the biblical storyline? Well, here's one reason. Our whole lives are shaped by some story. All of our life is shaped by some story. What do you mean by that? Well, each one of us has a worldview, whether we're cognizant or conscious of it or not, we have a worldview. And to a great extent, that worldview determines how we perceive the world and how we respond to the world, how we think and the choices we make and the actions that we take. And every worldview is rooted in a meta-narrative. What's a meta-narrative? A meta-narrative is a basic or foundational story that uh, gives context and meaning to life. So a basic foundational story that gives context and meaning to life. We are all part of a story that is bigger than us, and what we believe that story to be, what we believe about that story, more than anything else, shapes our lives. We're all part of a story that's bigger than us and what we believe that story to be and what we believe about that story more than anything else shapes our lives. Check out this clip from a good old 80s movie, The Dead Poets Society. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. I see that look in Mr. Pitt's eye, like 19th century literature has nothing to do with going to business school or medical school, right? Maybe. Mr. Hopkins, you may agree with them, thinking, yes, we should simply study our Mr. Pritchard and learn our rhyme and meter and go quietly about the business of achieving other ambitions. A little secret for you. Huddle up. Huddle up! We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. And medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. To quote from Whitman, oh me. O oh, life of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, what good amid these, O oh, me, O oh, life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. Powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. Ah, the powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. There's something true about that. We are all part of a powerful play that is filled with passion and beauty and romance and love. It's not a fictional play. 
It's not, it's not been made up. It's the true story of life. We don't get to choose the play or create the play. We're born into a play that's been going on for thousands of years. We don't get to choose the play, but we can write a few lines in it for our brief time, our few years in that powerful play. But if our lines are actually going to mean anything, make any sense, matter at all, have any staying power, affect eternity, then we better know what powerful play we're a part of, right? Is it a comedy, a tragedy, a romance? What's this play about? Who are the main characters in this play? What is the true story that we find ourselves a part of? If our whole lives are shaped by some story, wouldn't it be best if the story that shapes our lives is the true one, the real one, the actual one? At the end of Dead Poets Society, one of the students takes his life, and in his suicide note, he writes this. I don't want to come to the end of my life and find I haven't truly lived. If we have lived our lives based on a false narrative, on a story that's not true, we'll find in the end that we haven't really lived. Because really living can only happen when you consciously live as part of the real story, the true story. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I have come so that people can really live. Jesus came to give us full, real, lasting, eternal life, and that life is all wrapped up in knowing him. But we can't even understand Jesus, who he is and what he did and what that means for us, unless we understand the story. Why? Because the meaning of any event, even the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is rooted in its context. That is to say, in a story. We think the phrase, Jesus died for my sins, is self-evident. But it's not. It is not self-evident. The only way that phrase, Jesus died for my sins, has any meaning is if we understand the story, the whole story, of which it is a part from creation to new creation. Even Jesus explains his life in terms of the larger story. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. You will find that in the Bible in front of you in the rack there on page 858. <clears throat> on page 858. Now, I love this story, uh, this story about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. I've always liked this story. I have a new reason to like it even more. Is Lord willing, uh, our son Lucas and daughter-in-law Liz will have a baby girl in March, and they're going to name her Emmaus after this story and call her Emmy, which makes me like this story all the more. Okay? So, uh, this is a well-known story. This story takes place on the day of the resurrection. So Jesus Christ has resurrected, and the women have gone to the tomb and found it empty, and Peter and John have gone to the tomb and found it empty, and now we have these two disciples uh, walking out of Jerusalem on their way to Emmaus, and all of a sudden Jesus joins them, but they don't recognize him. 
And so they, they're talking all about what's happened and uh, even that morning, and Jesus says, what you talking about? <laughs> and they say, what? You must be the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's been going on the last couple of days. And then, you know, Jesus is having fun with this, okay? He's having a good time with this because he plays dumb. What things? What's going on? <laughs> and so they proceed to tell him what's happening, and, but they're a little confused. And then we read this. Uh, start in verse uh, 25. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And watch this, verse 27, and beginning with Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He takes them back to the beginning, takes them right through the story of scriptures to help them understand who he is and, and what he had done and what it all meant. So they're, of course, they're, they're fascinated by this, and I truly uh, hope I can pull, uh, rent the videotape in heaven and watch this story, uh, this sermon. I'd like to hear it. Uh, and so they're walking along. They get to where they're going, and it looks like Jesus is going to go on, and they urge him to stay with them. So he comes in, and they sit down to eat, and he breaks uh, the bread uh, to pray and start the meal and he disappears and they were like oh that was Jesus okay didn't our hearts burn within us as he was talking about the story and so they, I doubt they ate I think they just dropped it right there and ran back to uh, Jerusalem to the other disciples and say hey it's true it's true Jesus is alive we saw him and as they're talking Jesus shows up among the disciples and we read this starting in verse 44 <clears throat> he said to them this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Now, Jesus, in saying that, has covered all the Hebrew scriptures, every part of it. So again, he says, it's in there. It's the whole story is about me. It's pointing towards me. It's anticipating me. If you want to understand me, who I am, and what I've done, what it's all about, you got to know the story. You got to know the whole story. Verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. So Jesus uh, himself defines uh, who he is, the meaning of what he had done in the context of the broader story. That's the value of knowing the biblical storyline. And the Bible tells us the one true unfolding story of redemption. It's in the Bible that we find the big story, the meta-narrative, the true, actual, real story, the one true unfolding story of redemption, that this is the powerful play that our lives are a part of. And Jesus is right at the center of this story. And this story answers all the most important questions of life. I think I've told you this before, but uh, uh, quite a few Thanksgivings ago, uh, when uh, my mother and Sterling were still alive, we went to uh, my sister's house for Thanksgiving, and Sterling had a seizure. 
and he lost consciousness. And we called up uh, the ambulance, and the, they came really quickly. And uh, by the time they got there, though, he was already starting to come out of the seizure. And I remember the paramedic came in and asked Sterling in order to identify whether Sterling was conscious, awake, alert, with it. You know, are you with us in the real world? Uh, he asked Sterling several questions. He said, uh, do you know where you are? Uh, do you know, what's your name? And do you know what year it is? Can you tell me what year it is? And if he, kind of under, if he could give answers to these questions, then you knew that his mind wasn't foggy, that he was not unconscious. But he was conscious. And if we are truly conscious, awake, with it, alert, sober, and engaging the real world, we'll be able to answer those questions. Where are you? In other words, do you know what play you're a part of? Do you know the story that you're a part of that defines your life? What's your name? Do you know your name? In other words, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are in this powerful story of life, the one true story of redemption? Do, do you know your place, your role, who you are in this story? And do you know what time it is? Do you know what date it is? If this, if this is a play, if you will, it has acts. And you don't, you don't want to jump in and act like it's act one when we're actually in act five. It's silly, okay? You, won't, you don't know how to live if you don't know where you're at in the story. Do you, do you know what time it is? you know where we're at in the story? <clears throat> we need to know the big story of the Bible, and we're going to go through it this entire year. And if you've never gone through it or don't know it, spoiler alert, I'm famous for this with movies and books and stuff, is telling you how it's going to end. So in the next few minutes, I'm going to give us a reminder, a walk through this powerful play, the big story of the Bible from creation to um, new creation. So we'll start with creation. <clears throat> This is the great green planet we call Earth. Use your imagination a little bit, okay? And uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke the universe and everything in it into being. He said, let there be, and it was, and it was good. And the pinnacle of his creation was man and woman who were made in his image in order to reflect and represent him and to rule as his vice regents over this earth that he made. And of course, when we think about God creating, we wonder why. Why did he create this whole universe and people in particular? And people have offered you know, answers to that. I've, I've heard, you know, well, he was lonely. God was lonely, and he needed some fellowship, somebody to talk to, and so he created people for the sake of having relationship. I don't know. I'm not sure that God was ever lonely. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have a wonderful relationship. And there's, there's relationship complete and perfect within the Godhead itself. Some, I've heard it said that, oh, well, uh, he wanted to create people to worship him somehow as if God needs worship. Oh, he's certainly worthy of all worship. I'm not sure God needs worship. He is complete and perfect within himself. 
So why, why on earth would God create the world? I'm not sure you can find one verse that says it, but we know that God so loved the world, and we know that John on more than uh, one place in 1 John says God is love, but we don't find that just in 1 John. We find that throughout Scripture, God's love. And so I'd like to propose that God did not create the universe and the earth and human beings out of some deficit within himself, something that he lacked that needed to be filled. Not at all. Instead, God created out of the excess of his heart and life, he is love. If God needed anything, he needed to share the goodness of who he is because that's his nature. It's the nature of love to bind itself to the beloved, to give itself, to pour itself out for the beloved, and God is love. And so he, he did not create the earth out of some deficit. Instead, he created it out of a, a heart overflowing with love and invites us to enter into and experience the goodness of who he is. Creation. Stay, earth. <laughs> good <clears throat> well that's a good start right there uh, creation a beautiful thing um, <clears throat> so we are kind of in a romance aren't we if love is the driving purpose behind it uh, uh, love is at the very heart and center of it the tra but we're also part of a tragedy aren't we we're part of a tragedy because our first parents Adam and Eve decided to step from freedom under God to independence from God to step from freedom remember I said God's first recorded words to Adam before Eve was created was hey eat freely eat freely you know, freedom under God. But they chose, they chose to disobey God, to rebel, and to eat from the one tree that he said, don't eat from it. They saw it, they desired it, they, they saw that it was good to eat, and they took it. They took it. And that was more than just a mistake, just a slip-up. It was a conscious decision to say, we want to be God. We want to be in control. We want to determine what's right and wrong, good and bad. We want to be God. But that independence, it did not lead to freedom. It didn't. It led to slavery, to sin, and to Satan, who usurped their position when they disobeyed God. And it did something to us. It did something to us like this arrow. It bent us. We were bent by sin. Do you think even the best archer in the world can hit the mark with this arrow? I don't think so. There, there is something bent within us that affects all of our relationships, our relationship with God, our relationship with other people, our relationship with the earth, the environment, with work, our relationships with ourselves. It's all bent and broken. And that, that led to spiritual death, separation from God and physical death. And, and this is what we got because of sin and the fall is that we are bent. Why is it good to know the biblical storyline? 
I think one of the biggest issues in our culture and our world today is that we deny this. We don't believe in our bentness. And instead of saying, uh-oh, we're bent, we call it good. And if you don't call it good, you're intolerant and immoral. And so we, we instead of acknowledging our bentness and seeking God's help, we embrace it and call it good. But here's the tragic irony. When you call your bentness good, you're just repeating the rebellion. And with it come all the awful consequences. But if you don't know, if you don't know the storyline, you, you won't know what's wrong, what's the problem. We're bent, we need help. That's what happened with the fall, with sin. Well. That is bad news, that's a tragedy, but here's the good news, God's love isn't so easily thwarted. All right? Because he's love, he's gonna pursue his creatures that he has made, and the storyline moves along because God's gonna make covenants, covenants with his people. What is a covenant? A covenant is a way of defining a relationship. God says, you have rebelled, and there are consequences but we can still have a relationship, here's how, here's how. And the covenants formalize and define how there can be a relationship. And covenants have promises and they have obligations. And God made some wonderful promises to his people as you move through the story. He uh, made a covenant with Abraham and he promises Abraham that he'll become a great nation. In fact, many nations, but, but descendants as vast as the stars of the sky or the sand on the seashore, a people he promised him. And he promises Abraham um, that he will have a land to live in, a place that is prosperous and peaceful, a place to live. He promises Abraham a wonderful purpose. He says, through you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. One of your descendants will bless all the nations of the earth. That's a powerful purpose, isn't it? And in all of it, he promises to be with him, God's presence. Wow, those are wonderful promises. And actually, the, the very heart of the covenant idea, which you find throughout scripture, is this. God says, I will be your God, and you will be my people, and I will dwell with you. And what you're hearing there is God's heart of love. This is my desire. To be in right relationship, you recognize that I am God, I'm calling you my people, and we will have relationship. We will dwell together and be together. That's God's heart in the covenant. And then uh, God made a covenant uh, with the people of Israel through Moses. And he said, if you'll follow my commandments, I'm gonna make you into a display people a lighthouse, if you will, that, that will shine out to the nation so that they can look at you and see what it looks like to have a relationship with the one true God. You're gonna be my lighthouse, my people, my display people to show the world, all the nations of the world, what it looks like to live in relationship with God, and it'll track them to me. Another spoiler alert, they don't do a hot job of that, okay? <laughs> Uh, it's sad, it's, it's tragic, all right? But then he makes an incredible promise to King David, all right? 
he makes an incredible promise to King David. God says to King David, who wanted to build a temple for Yahweh, he says, that's okay, don't need your temple, thanks, nice idea. We'll hold off on that, but I'll tell you what, you're not gonna build me a temple, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna build you a dynasty of kings, and you know what? One of those kings is gonna rule over an eternal kingdom. He'll rule forever over an eternal kingdom. And that eternal kingdom will be a kingdom of righteousness and peace and justice. Ooh, that captured the imagination of the people. And this promise of a coming king who would set everything right, that became the major focus of the prophets. Even as everything around them seemed to be going downhill in the wrong direction, they held on to this promise of this king. And they wondered, they gave him a name, Messiah, Messiah, and they wondered, who, who will he be? And when will he come? And how will he do it? That, that became the question. Covenants. <clears throat> Now, it was a long wait, it was a long wait, and you need to understand that in one way or another, all the covenants were conditional, and we, humans, could not keep our side of the bargain. We, we, couldn't, we couldn't do our part. Why? Well, it's because of this. This is the problem. We, could, we couldn't keep our part of the covenant because we were bent and that hadn't been solved yet, all right? And so if you learn anything from the long Old Testament story of promise, you learn we humans can't keep our side of the bargain. Does that tank the story, end the story? Thank goodness, no, it doesn't tank the story. We say, God, you've got to help us. You've got to do something for us that we can't do. And in his love, he did. He did it. And what he did was he sent his own son to be born into this world as a human being to represent us, to walk in our shoes, and to do what we couldn't do, and that is to obey perfectly, to do our side of the covenant perfectly and completely. And not only that, he went to the cross, and on the cross he took upon himself the righteous judgment that we deserve because of our sin. And then he resurrected triumphant over sin, death, and Satan. He won back on the same playing field what Adam had lost. And that was the right to rule the earth. And so Jesus won that back with his victory, the right to rule the earth. That's why the cross is at the center, oopsie, of our faith, is the cross. <clears throat> Jesus is the descendant of David who is going to rule forever over an eternal kingdom of peace, righteousness, and, judgment, and justice. But before he does that, before he does uh, that in keeping that promise completely, there's another promise he's going to fulfill because he's also that descendant of, David, of Abraham through whom all the nations of the earth will um, be blessed. 
And that brings us to the New Testament mission, to the New Testament mission. Jesus resurrected from the dead, but before he ascended to heaven, he said this to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He, cre he creates the church, his body, and fills it with his spirit to continue and complete his work, his mission in the world. Jesus, with his physical body on the cross, purchased our salvation. But now, through his spiritual body, the church, us, he proclaims that salvation to the world. And I got a seed bag here. Remember, we used to talk about the church as a seed bag, that you are seed, and God's word, God's truth, the gospel, this story we're talking about is also seed, and we're to sow it. We're going to talk about it in terms of um, loving our neighbors to Jesus or blessing our neighbors. That's how we're going to talk about it. But we are on mission. That is why 2023 happens. The night is nearly over. The day is about to begin. So put off the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. <clears throat> this is our time period. A couple more before we're done. Jesus will return. In his time, he will return. And what will happen is judgment. Judgment. This is a gavel. Good. I'm glad you could recognize that. He'll return. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone must give an account for how they live their life. Those who have rejected Christ will not enter into his eternal kingdom, but will be faced with eternal separation from God. But those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and submitted their lives to him, they will enter into this eternal kingdom of righteousness and peace and justice, but there will be judgment. And you say, oh, well, that's where the love story ends, right? No, because God's love and justice go hand in hand. He does show mercy, but could any ruler, could any king truly be good if there was no justice? And so his justice even is a part of his love. There is justice, and we long for justice. We're waiting for justice, but right now is the day of salvation. So we preach the gospel message because today is, is opportunity to respond in faith to Jesus Christ. And then, recreation. I love these words out of Revelation chapter 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Does that, did you hear echo, 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 echo? Ah, that's the covenant idea. That's the heart of the covenant. God wins. God gets what he wants. And that is relationship with his people forever. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Amen? Ah, new creation. 
Oh, we can look forward to it. Wow, I can't wait. This is the story from beginning to end. It's the true story that our lives are a part of. It is the powerful play filled with passion and romance and beauty and love, love at the very heart of it, to live forever in the presence of God and know his goodness. That's what we're called to, and that's what we call other people to. The last line on your outline, I'm going to leave for next Sunday. We'll pick it up there, but just think about this. We're talking in this series about the story. Read it, live it, share it. Read it. Read it. Let's read it. But you know, as we do that, remember it's not about reading it. It's about getting to know the main character. God is both the author and the main character of this story, this drama of redemption. And it's about knowing him. And as a spiritual family, we can, we can know what play we're a part of, the true story of redemption, who we are in that play and what we ought to be doing, what time it is. And how we do that partly is by just telling parts of the story and telling the story. I don't know if at Christmas time or New Year's, you were with family. And when we're with family, inevitably as we're talking, stories come up. We tell stories. We retell stories. We tell them over and over again. It's like it wouldn't be Christmas if we didn't tell this story. And so we tell this story about something that happened when Taylor was a kid or Lucas was a kid or other family members. And I think there's something super important about telling and retelling stories because it shapes and defines your identity. It helps you to know who you are. Who am I? What's the family I'm a part of? What does my life mean? What is the purpose of my life? And I would love for us as a spiritual family, as a church, this year to tell these stories over and over again to each other as we read through. What are you learning? What are you observing? How is the Spirit working through his word? Watch out, because the word is living and active. It penetrates right to the very heart of who we are. And as we tell these stories to each other, familiar stories, stories we've heard before, but these stories are what define us, help us know who we are, who we belong to, what we're called to do. And you know what it is? It's putting on the armor of light. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this story and that we're not left hanging wondering where it goes from here, even if we can find our place in the story, like what what happens next? We know. You gave us the whole story from beginning to end. And knowing this story helps us understand who we are, what we've been called to do, gives us direction and hope and purpose and So I I thank you for your word. And I thank you for Jesus who is at the center of it and for the hope that we have in him. And I pray that as a spiritual family, we would read your word and we would live in this story, in the truth of it, that we would share it. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Have a great week in the Lord.